Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, Today we're going to be at Songs We Sing and uh, Oh Come All Ye Faithful. This song has a good bit of religious and just a bit of political intrigue. Not that you need any of that now, right? After everything. Uh, But a guy named John Wade uh, wrote this song back in the early, mid-1700s. An Englishman who... uh, was famous for writing music. By the way, did you guys know the first written music was written to praise God with? The first written music ever put down to a piece of paper was intended to be sang by the priest to worship God with. That's where it came from. That was its origination. And so Wade was really famous for his calligraphy, how he would write the lead sheets out. And uh, and so we don't know the exact tune and all that he used originally. Some think that he copied a tune from a comic opera at the time because Wade was what they call a Jacobite. And Jacobites were Roman Catholics who thought that England should be in the hands of the Roman Catholics, not the Anglican church at the time. And so uh, Wade, uh, there were some stories that even in this wonderful hymn that Wade would write in the, in the small margins when he handed out his hymn about uh, you know, Englishmen uh, taking up arms in order to throw the Anglicans out, <laughs> even in the middle of the... I mean, see, the, the religio-political thing has been around a long time, right? And uh, so, you know, this, this, there's a whole story behind this, fascinating story. So about 100 years later, a guy, uh, a priest named Oakley came along and found his manuscript. Well, Oakley took it and turned it into what we know today. Uh, This priest, Oakley, ministered in England on the streets to the poor. So he took this song, brought it out to the poor, put it on the streets, and probably used a tune for, uh, it was a Portuguese tune. That's the same one that we sing today. But Wade, I want you to hear just a sample of what music sounded like when it first began. Not that they had recorders then, but uh, this is what they called a plain chant or plain song. And listen to this. This is how the first worship music sounded. Yeah, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And the, you know, if you're a musician, you're trying to find the timing, and it just like wanders. It just it goes. It's so organic, and it just moves. And so, Wade was really famous and and popular for his style of this music. But I like the fact that Oakley took it, and then turned it into what we know today. And I especially like the idea that this song was sang among the poor, and that the poor were able to jump on this and, and uh, to sing in the streets of England. And also, fascinating story. Oh, come all ye faithful. Uh, you know, joyful and triumphant. Can you see where Wade got that? Like, come on, you triumphant people. Let's take England back. Um, oh, come ye. Oh, come ye. But then the focus changes. And, and Wade or Oakley, uh, Wade did meant, mean for this to be a Christmas song. But, you know, sometimes people get their politics and faith mixed up. You can laugh. It's okay. It's over now. Well, I don't know if it's over, but let's just say, all right. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem, city of David. Come and adore him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, put the focus where it needs to be, right? 
Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the Lord. Hey, now we're going to go over to Matthew, the second chapter. And we're going to look at uh, what are the first groups, the faithful group that came to uh, see Jesus. And so uh, if you've got your app or you've got your Bible there, it's going to be on the screen. I think I have it in your handout. You flip your bulletin over, and I think the scripture is on that backside as well. Uh, I, I want to give you every opportunity not to miss reading the scripture. Okay, so instead of withholding it and trying to make you look it up, I, I want to try to get it in front of your face every opportunity I can. Because the more that you read it, and the more you, I think you'll hunger for it. And so, uh, here we go. Let's read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, Micah 5, 2, verse 4, over 800 years prior now to this, was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Lord, bless the reading of your word this morning. Well, here's the setup. You know, Jesus is by now probably about two years old. So, you know, we get our stories kind of blended up at Christmas time. He's not just a little baby. He's a toddler. And... uh, because of what's going to happen later in the story, you'll see why we know that. And, uh, and so he's in Bethlehem. They probably settled into a, a home, uh, not homes like ours. Their homes would have like a stable downstairs, and then upstairs would be the living area for them, and, and it'd be very, very small. And so Bethlehem, it was prophesied, the city of David, that is uh, where David's town, that's where Jesus would be born, that's happened. And then we have a king, King Herod. Last week we had a, we had a ruler, an emperor, didn't we? And Augustus. And Augustus was called what? The son of God, right? I mean, his dad, right? He made his dad a deity, Augustus did. And so if his dad's God, that makes him what? The son of God, <laughs> yeah. So I'm telling you, you know, this... This comparison of Jesus coming and coming under the rule of the Son of God in Augustus. And then now Herod, whom Herod is, well, you know, you could say he's Jewish. He's the Jewish, you know, he's an Edomite. So, you know, Esau and Jacob, the twins, when all of that happened, Jacob becomes Israel. Now Esau, he's from that branch of Esau is where Herod is from. And so there's a little bit of tension between these two. And uh, though he 
because of Antony. Antony named Herod the king, what? Of the Jews. You get this stuff, you should get a chill right now. I mean, Augustus, son of God, Jesus, son of God. Herod, king of the Jews. What do the Magi say when they get there? Well, what would he say? Duh, I'm here. You know, Herod's like, where can we find the king of the Jews? Herod's response would be, I mean, here I am, you know, I'm in my huge home and you're here and don't I look like a king to you? And they're like, nah, you're not the one we're talking about. You know, I mean, this is a setup, you know, this is like one of the best written, like uh, it just builds with intensity and Christmas is just the beginning of it. And so we've got all these shades of, uh, of the culture and in the time and history that's like a megaphone to us that something very special is going on. Something that we just can't readily discount. It go, oh, that's just happenstance that 66 books happen to fall into each other over these thousands of years and everything seems to be lining up. No, no, no. There's something very special going on here that any intelligent person would want to pursue and to try to better understand. Because this just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. So we've got Jesus. He's about two years old. Bethlehem. We've got Herod. King of the Jews, as he was called. He was a builder. He rebuilt the temple. He tried to make a name for himself. But he was extremely paranoid and scared. Uh, you know, He had children that loved him. But because he was so paranoid, he had two of them killed. Two of his sons killed. Uh, he had his favorite wife, of which he had five, I think. Uh, he had his favorite wife killed because he got nervous with her every night. <laughs> you know, he thought she was going to take him out. And then he had a favorite son, his favorite son of all time and he got really close to his dad until his dad just said too close you're out of here and then there was a story with this guy that there was a priest that was very close to Herod as well and that he just happened to drown in about a one-foot pool (laughs) oh it's so sad he drowned in that much water you know uh, there was a saying during this period of time that uh, it was one of the church historians that said it that better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons, <laughs> because you, your, you know, your life would go on much further if you were a pig. So, um, you know, this is the type of guy, very paranoid, uh, wanting to hold on to things, and known as the king of the Jews, when these strange people, the Magi, our next characters, show up. Magi, and yes, we say what a strange word, and you could say magician, magi, Uh, it was astronomers, astrologers, scientists of that day from probably Persia, uh, maybe 900 miles away, who watched the stars, and they were not Jewish, uh, you know, they were Gentiles, they knew the sky, actually, the shepherds knew the skies as well, but these guys studied the skies and watched for any anomaly or anything that would be out of the ordinary, And they saw a star. Now, the star, we don't know. You know, there's some talk that, uh, you know, there were some things going on in the heavens at that time. You know, one is that Jupiter and Saturn had kind of aligned at least three times during this this period of time. And Jupiter was the the planet that kind of reflected royalty. And then um, Saturn reflected the Hebrew nation. So do you get this? Royalty, the Jewish people, king of the Jews. 
And so they may have saw this anomaly that we know did happen during this period of time. That may have been what it was. We don't know for sure. But uh, they saw something different, something that they interpreted as the fact that a new king had come to earth. And they were very happy that they saw this because they watched for these things. That's what they did. So they made a long journey, an expensive journey. Uh, It cost them a lot to finally get to Bethlehem to see this new king of the Jews. And that's where we join the story. Now, I want to mention this, too, because you have to set context, right? The guy writing this, Matthew, uh, the the gospel of Matthew, was the most read uh, gospel of all, especially in the early church and early on. That's the one that they passed around and they talked a lot about. Do you know Matthew's story? Matthew was a tax collector, right? He knows record-keeping. Right? He knows how to keep who owes what, right? So this document, this, which probably comes out of 50, somewhere around 50 AD or so, uh, this writing, you know, when you think about it, hey, Matthew probably knows what he's talking about. Plus the experience that Matthew had from going from a tax collector to Jesus coming by his booth one day and looking at him and saying, follow me, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He gets up and he leaves. Can you believe that? How many of you did that? Some of you did. Some of you did. Jesus came to you right where you were. You were at work. You were at the church service. You were in a home. You were talking to a friend. You were at a surfing contest. Jesus walks in, and he goes, stop what you're doing. Follow me. Let's go. And you know what? Matthew Levi did. He got up, and he walked, and he followed. And then he threw a big party for all of his friends so that they could be introduced to Jesus. So take into account who's writing this story so you can kind of see it with his eyes and know that this story was the, this gospel was the one that was really passed around and that the church, the early church, read. So I want to see what we can learn uh, from this and ask ourselves this question this morning, the fill-in on the back of your handout this morning. Ask, ask yourself this, am I one of the faithful? Am I one of the faithful? Uh, maybe three things we can take away from this Wonderful, beautiful story. Fascinating, miraculous story in Matthew 2. Your first feeling is this. Are we, are we faithful in seeking? Are we faithful in the seeking? The Magi, I'm whom I'm basing most of this on, you know, they came from the east. And as I said, a 900-mile journey, most likely. And they asked, where is the one who has been born? king of the Jews. These were not Jewish people. They were pagans. They were Gentiles. Uh, You know, the matter of fact, here's here's another thing. I know I get so excited about it, but I do. You know, every week, I can't help it. Every week, it's like I know there's something in here that's going to like, you know. And, and, And the next time that anybody would call Jesus king of the Jews would be the Roman soldiers. The Magi call him that first, and the next time we see it, it's the Roman soldiers calling him that making fun of him. And so uh, the Magi, they make a long, they're very faithful in their seeking to find out if what they saw really means what they believe it means. And so they travel a long distance. This is not, we don't know if it was we three kings of Orient. You know that song. We, you know, we don't know if it was three. That comes from the gifts that were given, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But probably a whole entourage of people. I mean, that far, and these type of people Wealthy, very well educated in what they did, probably had a whole caravan of camels and 
and they had to have food, and they brought gifts, and so they had to finance their trip. And so when they came through the towns, people knew something was going on as they made their way. And so there was probably quite a large group. And they took this whole group all the way across the deserts and through the different lands just to see if what they think is correct is correct. They were so faithful in the seeking. And I think there's a great lesson for us in that, that sometimes we just give up, don't we? I mean, we, we don't understand something about God or we, we get to a place where we're like, I can't trust God because I don't understand this. And we back off in our seeking. We pull away from our seeking. And I, the Magi, it, they are a lesson to me. Because I find out that the more that I seek, the more I'm hungry. I mean, it's like I don't, I don't lose this appetite. It, even, it increases in me. The more that I look for who he was, who Christ was, and what he did, and what he wants us to understand about his kingdom and now and how to live. And, the, you know, all of this, it, 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 it's not like the seeking, you end up at a, at a brick wall. It's like, no, there's a, there's a turn over here. There's a little bit of a turn. Let me look around that corner and see what's there. Don't stop seeking. Are you faithful in the seeking? Even when you hit a corner. I mean, some of us in here maybe have hit that corner, but Christmas rolls around every year and you hear about Jesus every year. You know, Easter and Christmas. Keep seeking. And that's for us believers too, or we believers as well. Uh, I, again, find it fascinating that God uses the people that he uses many times. These are, these are astrologers of sorts. Now, God's people over in the Old Testament were forbidden to look at horoscopes to, to you know, consult with wizards and things like that. It, the prophets only and the word, that was it. You sought God. You didn't put anything in between. And so uh, what, what I see is not that God approved of this, but that God says that won't stop me. <laughs> you get this? I am going to take a people who trust the skies and I'm going to pierce that false religion part of them, and I'm going to show them who I am. That is worth seeking. That, is, that was worth seeking for the Magi as they broke through all of what they knew, and they said, there's a new king in town, and we believe that he's been revealed to us. So we want to know if it's true or not. And so God pulled these Gentiles from a far distance to come and to see the newborn king. Because what would Jesus' life be like? Of course, he swung the door open for us. Most of us are Gentiles in here. And this was just a bit of a shout out early on. Hey, the welcome mat's getting ready to be thrown out. This king is different than all the other kings we've met so far in this story. So are you seeking? Do you continue to seek? Don't, you know, they didn't let Herod's, Herod's sketchiness stop them. I mean, they picked up on it, right? Because at the end of the story, it says they went back another way, <laughs> right? They were going to go back to Herod. They didn't let that stop them from pursuing this king. They just said, we'll go back a different way, but we're going to find our way to this baby. We're going to find our way to this new king. So no matter the threat, that didn't stop them. They kept seeking. No matter the questions, no matter the expense, none of it. And you know, the, the, to seek in this context means to strive for. It means to earnestly look for. And I honestly have found that unless we have this seeking heart, 
to earnestly look for something, we usually miss the beauty that's there for us. It's like you, you may stumble upon the beauty of God occasionally. You go to the beach like I do, or I pick up my grandson or granddaughter, and I look in their eyes, and I see the beauty of God and his creation and all of that. But as I seek into the details of more and more, God's beauty becomes more prevalent and obvious. So it's in the seeking that we see more and more of who God is. Are you faithful in your seeking? Don't give up. You know, don't give up at this time of the year when we're reminded that something very different happened on that first Christmas when Christ came. Continue to seek. Uh, what's really crazy is in Luke 19.9, Jesus is talking to uh, another tax collector. Remember the short tax collector? He was really short. Zacchaeus. Remember he wanted to see Jesus and he was always jumping up and down and Jesus would come through towns and he couldn't see him. And, and, uh, and so Zacchaeus goes, I can climb up in a tree and I can see him. So Zacchaeus climbs up, you know, and he's a wealthy tax collector. The Jews hate him. People hate him. Tax, they hated tax collectors. And uh, he sees Jesus and Jesus is walking by and he turns and he looks right at him. Not only does he turn and look right at him, he calls him by name. You know, and uh, looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house. I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus takes him to his house and uh, invites his taxpayer friends too. Uh, and at the end of that confrontation, this is what Jesus says with with uh, Matthew, listen to this. Today, he says this to Zacchaeus, I mean, today salvation has come to your house because this man, speaking of Zacchaeus too, is a son of Abraham. Then listen to this. For the son of man came to what? To seek and to save the lost. Not only should we continue to seek, what happens when you begin to seek to come to know God, knowing that God is seeking you? I have great peace now. I used to be so upset when friends of mine don't come to know Christ. And I used to, I mean, I still pray. I still want to see that happen. But when I know they're seeking and I realize God loves them so much, he's out seeking them as well. I'm like, okay, God, go to it. You know what? You know where they are. You can find them. And if, if I can help give them a little thirst for you, man, the chances of you two guys meeting up is going to be wonderful. <laughs> You know, so also Jesus is seeking. He's out to seek the lost, to save and restore. So are you still seeking? Are you faithful in your seeking? And secondly, are you faithful in worship? Are you faithful in worship? Look what the Magi did. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Worshiped him. Now, this again is... It's kind of crazy because these guys are not, they're not Jewish. But the word there for worship is the same word, proskuneo, that's used for the Jewish people when they worship. But this is a non-believer. And remember this too. The Magi did not get it that this was the Son of God. They came because he was what? King of the Jews. They didn't see the full story yet. And yet God used them in their seeking and their persistence to get there. But still, it said, the reason we have come is to worship him. 
they bowed down. And notice they did say him. They weren't worshiping Herod. They weren't worshiping Mary. They weren't worshiping the star. It says him. Even the Magi, it was him that they wanted to worship. So, again, asking ourselves, you know, am I faithful in the worship? And let me throw out a little, ah, what's the word? Not contradiction, but maybe confliction. The question is, can a non-believer worship God? You know, I've heard all kinds of opinions about that because if someone has, does not have a relationship with God, how can they have an intimate conversation and relationship? But you know what I see in this? I see the Magi getting their attention. God got their attention, got them to, you know, to Bethlehem, got them there, and they bowed down in their worship. I go over to Acts 10, and I see a Roman soldier named Cornelius, who it says was a devout man who gave money to the poor and the needy and his whole household loved him and that he prayed three times a day and yet he knew something was missing so you know what i think i think god is so beautiful and big that all of creation worships him sometimes when they don't even realize it and i think these these magi are an example of just how important worship is to us because they didn't even understand fully who Jesus was, yet they fell down and they worshiped him. Are you faithful in worship? How much more those of us who know him, who have prayed to him, spent time with him, we've put our lives in his hands and he's come and he's living inside of us, how much more faithful should we be when we get the opportunity to bow down, to sing, to worship, and we get this exchange back and forth in Worship. Are you faithful in worship? Are you faithful? Some of you don't get the uh, probably the singing and the, the raising hands and all of this, but yet you come in here every Sunday. You'll come in and you'll hang out. And some of you haven't made the step yet. You had not even crossed the line, what I call saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Just like Zacchaeus, Matthew, the different ones when he said, come on, let's go. You haven't done that yet, but yet you're hanging out, you know. You're a hanger-on, you know. <laughs> you're a hanger-on. You, you're hanging out on the periphery, and you're listening to this message, and you're going, I don't know why I'm hanging out here, you know. But you, and the songs come, and you begin to sing, and you begin to worship, and you feel something, and you don't get it. And then I stick my hands up in the air, and he's, he's trying to stop the service. Somebody stop the service, you know. No, no, no. It's just that there's some response, you know. Just you got to do something, you know. And, and raising your hand is a sign of adoration, to him and and so it's just a tool in the music you know music is a tool that God uses just like we started this sermon with it a vehicle for us to be able to worship and to pour our heart but even if you haven't if you don't know him as the son of God yet like the magi didn't you respond to it you find yourself singing you find yourself suddenly in this place of maybe some sentimentality or some point of 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 a deep thought of of, of your life and you wonder, why am I thinking about this right now? Why are my defenses falling right now? Why is it hard for me not to cry right now? Why do I feel a little bit safe and vulnerable at the same time? Why is there that? Because it's the presence of God that you're in the presence of Jesus as he's come among his people and he's calling you. And so you sing and you worship and you contribute to the voices that go up to God that he loves. And I think the Magi though they didn't get it completely yet, are an excellent example of being faithful in worship. They pushed through, 
till they got to where he was and they bowed down and they worshiped him. How much more should we, those who know him, not do the same and press right past? What an example. Are you faithful in worship? And lastly, are you faithful in giving? Look, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Are you faithful in giving? Cornelius, you know, there he is again. He was faithful in in giving. The tax collector I mentioned, Zacchaeus, uh, so funny. You know, when I read his story, I think of a guy who's uh, a little bit manic. <laughs> you know, he's got a little mania in him, and he's, but he's so excited about what's happening to his life with Jesus that when Jesus does make it to his house, uh, that he just blurts out. He goes, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much as I cheated them, which he had cheated some people. And you know what, Jesus? I'm giving away half of everything I got to the poor. You know, it just blurts out of his mouth because that's the effect that Christ and the freedom had on him. And that's the same point again where Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come for you, Zacchaeus. That's who I've come for. And so, uh, you know, are you faithful in the giving? It, It affects the worship. If it doesn't affect our giving away something, then it hasn't affected us as deeply as it should. Giving is a response of worship. The Magi carried gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'll just boil it down to this. Gold's money. Frankincense is like incense. It just makes the place smell good. Myrrh is like a perfume that, uh, that put on the bodies and, and make the place smell really good. So it was like wealth and the aura of the room and the environment was beautiful. It was a way of, to me of saying that this king, this king is very special. That he, his coming to earth would indeed involve all of life. Every bit of how we look at wealth how we look at the atmosphere that we live in, our relationships, as well as what we leave in other people's lives. Is there a whiff of hope left with every person we meet? Can they pick up on the fact that we have been with the king when we walk away? Because we are giving away what we have. And I think that... uh, that beautiful fragrance of freedom and the fragrance of hope that God has given his people is part of those gifts. The incense and the myrrh. And uh, if it hasn't affected our giving, then it really hasn't affected our worship at the level that it should. Magi traveled a long way with these gifts, guarded them, made sure that they made it all the way to where this king was. And then they laid it before. And you, know, you never know what your giving is going to do a lot of times. Because right after this, the story, Herod, because he gets kind of cheated by the, the Magi, right? He said, you guys come back, tell me where he is because I want to go worship him too. Yeah, right. You know, oh gosh, here's another thing. Um, you know, just occurred to me. Uh, the Magi say, where's this king of the Jews? But how does Herod respond? He says, where is the Messiah? Herod names him Messiah himself. So do you see, you know, do you see how exciting this is? I mean, right out of Herod's mouth comes this almost 
uh, proclamation that there is something even extraordinary. It goes beyond just another king. But he is the Messiah. Then he asked for the priests, the Jewish priests and all. He says, give me the record. And sure enough, there's the record in Micah and Isaiah and all through the Old Testaments that he was coming. He would be there in Bethlehem. Well, Herod's plan is what? Since he wasn't able to get the baby from the Magi, he's going to kill every child under the age of two. Just a process of elimination. I'll kill them all. And that way I'll get rid of Jesus. Well, what happens? They get warned by an angel, Mary and Joseph do, and they pack up and they go to Egypt. Now, how did they live in Egypt for all of those years before they came back? Most likely the offering that the Magi brought. They had no idea. They just knew he was a king. They wanted to show him honor and they wanted to worship him, so they gave of their sustenance. They gave what they had to him, and then God, in his divine networking, worked that gift into their lives so that when they were ran out of town, they were able to be taken care of before he came back and Jesus began his ministry. You just never know when you're faithful in your giving, you never know what's going to happen down the road. So the Magi, they teach us so much. Faithful in the seeking, faithful in the, give, in the worship, and faithful in the giving. The story covers all of us and it covers three large areas of our life. And the question is, where are you today? Which, which one of these three would you say, God, you, you know, if I'm coming to you this morning, here's the one. Is it my seeking? Have I, have I given up seeking to know you better? Have I given up looking for you? Have I given up? I, I, want, I want a renewed hunger and thirst for you, God. Would you help me with that? What a great response this morning. Maybe your worship has been hindered and, and you're like, I don't get it. But, but if you are who you say you are, just like the Magi, though they didn't know. Maybe they learned about this from the exiles in Babylon or wherever about you. But they didn't know the whole story. But yet they worshipped you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommit to worshipping you more with my heart. I'm going to do that again. Or maybe it's your giving. You've locked that out and you've like, no, I don't, I don't give. I don't give what God has given to me because I don't see it as worship. I don't see it as God using it to meet the needs of others and his plan. Those three areas this morning, can we pray and we could just ask God to touch our heart? Why don't we do that right now? Father, here's three areas. Here's the three areas for us just a few weeks out of Christmas. Are we seeking you? Lord, speak to each of us right now. Holy Spirit, come. Have we grown tired? Have we grown tired? Lord, reacquaint us. We want to be faithful to continue to seek. I want to thirst for you more, Lord. I want to hunger more for you. There's more to know of you, of what you want to do in us, each of us individually as a church and our families and in our businesses, with our lives. Lord, come. Give us a deep thirst and hunger again so we will begin to seek you again with all of our heart all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, once again. Come, Lord. 
Father, even as we sing this song in just a moment to close out our time together this morning, when we sing, come all ye faithful, Lord, we are singing our song because we are faithful in worship to worship you. And so, Lord, if grown a little stale in my worship and it's become somewhat automatic and not personal Lord help me to engage in a new way with you to give you the worship you deserve King and Savior you deserve worship and Lord speak to our giving this is this is the time Lord of giving. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.